to continue, actually finish uh, a two-part sermon series that I began last week. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. We're going to read just 10 verses. If you will, stand with me all over the room for the reading of God's Word. Then we'll pray, and I'll let you be seated. Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and a high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust. Everybody say trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I want to preach to you this morning uh, the second part of the message I've simply titled The Trust Test. If you will, bow your heads with me and pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everything you've done in this service already. But God, now is the most Uh, important part when you plant your word, your seed in our hearts. So God, I'm asking you that I wouldn't speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that I would preach your word in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. That Lord, we would, my lips would be anointed to speak your words and not my own. And that the ears of every person in this building today or watching by live stream would be anointed to hear your words and their heart, Father, to receive your word. Let us leave differently than we came because we've been in your presence and changed by your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. A.W. Tozer said this, The man of pseudo-faith will fight for his verbal creed, but refuse flatly to allow himself to get into a predicament where his future must depend upon that creed being true. He always provides himself with secondary ways of escape so he will have a way out if the roof caves in. Tozer said, what we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely today as they know they must do at the last day. Let me say that again. What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely today as they know they must do at that last day. Last week I gave you an acrostic for the word trust. And we talked about the first two things and touched on the third one. The first two, take an inventory and recognize God as your source. The third one, understanding God's principles, we talked briefly about that last week. I'm going to finish those in just a moment, so if you are taking notes, you want to write these down because I'm going to hit them quickly. There are ten principles that we're going to talk about very quickly, and then we're going to get into talking about surrendering everything to God and testing God's promises to us. First of all, let's look at the principles that God has for us. These are all kingdom principles. These are principles that the Christian understands and hopefully obeys, but they're also principles that the world does not understand, and they do not, therefore, obey. So here we go. Here are the ten principles. Number one, the who's in charge principle. The who's in charge principle. God is the owner. 
I am the manager. Every resource, every blessing, everything that I have today is a gift of God's. God owns it. He has given it to me to enjoy. The who's in charge principle. Number two, the give and grow principle. The give and grow principle. Practicing stewardship in all areas of your life. Please realize that today we are not just talking about money. We are talking about your time, your talent, and your treasure or your tithe. It's what we're talking about. Stewardship encompasses all of those things. Practicing stewardship will produce growth in all areas of your life. The give and grow principle. Number three, the do it now principle. Stewardship deals with our present resources. Not what I had or not what I'm going to have. But God is asking me today, Sean, what are you doing with your gifts and your abilities that you have right now to further the kingdom of God? That is the do it now principle. Number four, the I'm in debt principle. From the moment that we are born, we are debtors. The apostle Paul said, I am a debtor. Basically, he was saying that I've come into this world already given many blessings and I am now already, from the moment I'm born, responsible to return as many of those blessings as I possibly can. The I'm in debt principle. Number five, the fountain of youth principle. I got some of y'all's attention right there, didn't I? The fountain of youth principle. See, one writer said this, and I found it interesting. He said, we live forever through our giving. Because when we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, those gifts that we have given are the only things that last forever. Think about that. The, that's called the fountain of youth principle. We live forever by what we give. How many can think of right now somebody else that's already gone on to be with the Lord that left a great legacy and left a great heritage to their family, right? We live forever by what we give. Number six, the who's number one principle. Because God deserves the first of everything. Boy, that was weak for about 200 people. Let's try that again. God deserves the first of everything. Amen. You see, there's a tendency, and it's a very, very human tendency. Instead of giving Him our best or our first, many of us want to give Him our leftovers. Jesus said in Matthew, actually Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 38, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. In Proverbs 3 and 9, the writer said this, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2 said this, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. God tells us that we are to give him the first, not the last of everything. Now, our tendency many times is to give God what's left over. That's just human. 
Our human tendency is to take our possessions, to take our time, to take our talents, and to use it to take care of us, you know, me, my four, and no more, take care of us, ourselves, our family. And if there's anything left over, if there's any time left over, if there's any money left over, if there's anything else left over, talent, if we've got any energy left, then we say, sure, God, I'll give it to you. I'll take care of you. I'll never forget, and now she's in this service. So, see, I got to talk about her last service, and she didn't even know it because she was serving in MPK. But my daughter's in here, but I'll never forget teaching Abby the principle of tithing. It was a rocky road, wasn't it, sis? Teaching her the principle of tithing because she got that little job, and she worked part-time, and, and I started teaching her to tithe. I said, whatever you get, 10% of that gives you give to the church. And she said, Dad, God is not really concerned with my $19. I said, it's not about the $19. It doesn't matter if you got 190 on your check or if one day you get 1900 on your check. One-tenth of that, whatever it is, is what the Bible teaches you to give to the Lord. And when I was trying to teach her that, uh, I thought about something I had read from John Maxwell and never did find it at that time. She's learned that principle now. She's in her second year of working and she's learned that principle and I'm proud of her. She practices it well and she's learned that the Lord blesses her. And one of the ways the Lord blesses her is if she runs short, Daddy helps her if she tithes. If she don't, she's on her own. Amen. But I've read this story, I found it this week, and I, uh, about John Maxwell. He wrote about his 14-year-old son, Joel, who got his first job. And he got his first official paycheck, and boy, he was thrilled. He said, I mean, he came home, and he showed me that paycheck, and then he marched into the room where his mom was, and he looked at it, and Margaret said, you know, he looked at his mom and said, you know, I'm not sure I can afford to tithe. And, and Maxwell said, you know, I thought how typical that is of us, isn't it? He's got more money in his hand than he's ever had in his 14-year-old entire life. But what happens? Greed immediately sets in. And all of a sudden, he's thinking, you know what? I could use this. I could take it and do this. I could take it and do that. And Maxwell said, and I thought out of the mouth of a 14-year-old boy, very true to nature, comes the whole question to all of us, where do I put my trust? Where do I put God in my life? Is he first or is he second? Is he fifth or is he 25th in my life? I want to ask you a question this morning. Where is God in your life right now? Now, the Bible says that the Lord himself said, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What he's basically saying is this. I can tell you what you love, I can basically tell you what your priorities are in your life if you just let me see your checkbook and your calendar. They both go hand in hand. I can tell by your checkbook and your calendar what you love the most. That is the who's number one principle. Number seven, the cheerful attitude principle. Stewardship begins with loving and not giving. Paul said this, God loves a cheerful giver. Now one of the things that I have found out in my time of ministry is that we can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. Let me say that again. We can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. 
Love has to be the foundation. If love is not the foundation of my relationship with God, I'm always going to have problems in all aspects and in relationships in my life. You see, love asks the question when we're talking about our time. Don't forget, it's not just about money. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. Love asks the question, how much can I give? But legalism asks the question, how little can I give and still get by? There's a major difference between the two. See, the basis of our stewardship and the management of all the resources that God has given us has got to be based on the fact that I love Him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and all of my strength. Carl Menninger, a great psychiatrist, world-renowned psychiatrist, said this, and I thought it was interesting. He said, generous people are rarely mentally ill. Think about that. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. You know what he was actually saying? He was actually saying, when we begin to live beyond ourselves, and we give of our time, and we give of our talent, and we give everything, when we begin to live beyond our world of self, I wish we could get that message across to this generation that it's not all about them. Hello. Get beyond the world of self. It changes our mindset. And here's what Menninger said. He said, we become healthy people emotionally, psychologically, physically, and spiritually. That is the cheerful attitude principle. Number eight, the big shovel principle. This is one of my favorites. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. When it's your time, whether it's your talent, or whether it's your treasure. I have had the craziest two weeks probably of my ministry. Tuesday, I will preach the fourth funeral I've preached in a week and a half. And today, I will go do all the music for a funeral. As soon as I leave here and can get to Barberville, it starts at 2 o'clock. It's just one thing right after another, and I'm learning to do it. Now, this the young people won't have a clue what I'm talking about, but some of you older people, the, uh, the Lois Jane generation, how many knows what I'm talking about? I'm learning to take it one day at a time. Sweet Jesus, can I get a witness in the house? That's what I'm learning to do in my life. But listen, when you give your time to the Lord, when you give your talent to the Lord to bless the kingdom and to bless His people, and when you give your treasure to the Lord, some way, somehow... The Lord makes time. I'm telling you, He does. You take it one day at a time, you'll get it all done or you'll get to it all eventually. Hello, somebody. When you take it one day at a time, when you give of your talents and your resources, when you feel like you're outgiving, you can't give any more, somehow God shows up and He gives back to you so that you can give again. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He said, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. But now notice the next phrase. Watch this. Watch this. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Whatever you give is what you're going to get. That's a powerful, powerful principle in God's Word. Jesus is saying, you and I measure the standard of what we receive. We're the ones who measure that. And what I give in delight is what I'm going to receive Back. It's the big shovel principle. A very generous giver was asked this. 
How is it that you have given so much and yet God has blessed you financially in every area? And he replied, it's very simple. I shovel in and God shovels back. And God has a bigger shovel than I do. That's good principle. Number nine, the river principle. Our life is to be like a river, not a reservoir. Our lives should be like rivers and not like reservoirs. In other words, I'm to be a conduit, something that the Lord can flow through. I'm to take my life and not hold in what God has given me, but I'm to pass it on to others. S.D. Gordon, in his book, Quiet Talks on Prayer, says that there is one inlet of power in life. One inlet of power in your life, and that is the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody in the house this morning that's thankful for the Holy Spirit? Amen? Anybody thankful? Give the Lord some praise in this house if you're thankful for the Holy Spirit. Listen, I don't know how people do church without the Holy Spirit. That's just me. It bore me out of my mind. But I like it when when the presence of the Lord is permitted to move. Amen? And allowed to fall and move and breathe upon His people. That's our inlet of power, folks. That's where we get the power uh, to face what we face in this life. But when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into us, there's five outlets of power through which the Holy Spirit reveals His power to others. I want to share these with you today because this is the way that we become a river and not a reservoir. We're to let God's power flow through us in these five areas. Number one, through our life, what we are. Listen to me, parents. Your children will follow what you are far more than they'll follow what you say. Let that sink in. Through our lips, what we say. Through our ministry, what we do. Through our money, yes, what we give. Through our prayer, what we pray for under the authority of the name of Jesus. One person said we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Somebody say amen. Number 10, the whom has the who has whom principle. This is the last principle then we're going to get to surrender and I'll close this out. Until God is in control of my life, I'm out of control. Let me say that again. Until God is in control of my life, then I'm out of control. James Lawless said Stewardship is more than the management of things. It is the refusal to let those things manage us. It's the refusal to let those things manage us. Unless God is in control of our lives, our lives are out of control. Now let's talk about surrendering everything to God. Everybody shout surrender. If I only had more, I would give more. How often we've all said that. Luke has something to say about such statements. Luke 16 and verse 10. says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. What did Luke mean? If you are not, go- if you are not giving sacrificially with what you have now, your time, your talent, your treasure, then you won't give sacrificially when you have more. Because there's a spiritual principle at work in our lives and that principle has shown time and time again it's not how much we have of the world that dictates our generosity towards God but it's how much God has of us. Let me say that again. It's not how much of the world uh, that we have that dictates it's not how much of possessions and things that we have that dictates our generosity towards God But it's how much of us does God have that dictates our generosity towards God. Wow, that's powerful. But here's the problem 
in the nutshell. The question for the Christian is very, very simple. Am I going to live like the world, basically trust in myself, become independent and do my own thing? Or am I going to live under Christian principles so that God has more of me? Am I going to be a truly trusting, obedient, dependent person upon God? Is God going to be my source or am I going to do the old American deal of pull myself up by the bootstraps and kind of just pave my own way? Because you know i got to take care of myself. That's the issue. See, the issue this morning, folks, is not your talent. It's not your time. It's not your abilities, and it's not even about your money. The issue is very simple. Who do you trust in? Who do you place your trust in? See, that's it. Jeremiah describes both an independent person and a person of trust or dependence. And here's what he says about the independent person in Jeremiah 17, verses 5 and 6. He says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Notice how he says what he'll be like if we're independent and do our own thing. He says, He will be like a bush in the wasteland. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He'll look right past it. And he'll dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where nobody lives. God says, if you're going to rely upon yourself, you're going to be like a bush. You're going to be driven and tossed with the wind, having no roots, having no fruit, and producing nothing. But then goes, God goes on and says, a person that trusts and is dependent upon God, in verses 7 and 8, he says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, the man or the woman who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Now notice that circumstances are the same for the person who trusts God and the person who doesn't. The circumstances are the same. For the one who doesn't trust God, there's famine. There's struggle. There's a hard time. But the one who is prospering has leaves because his roots are grounded in the source, which is God. The other one's like a tumbling bush being tossed by the wind. Circumstances are the same, but the result is totally opposite. And now I want to talk about testing God's promises. I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish He didn't trust me so much. Think about that. What a delightful lady. But do you know why God trusted Mother Teresa so much? It was very simple. Mother Teresa had proven herself to be trustworthy. God knew that if he gave it to Mother Teresa, she would do the right thing with it. She dedicated her life to ministry to the poor and to the hurting. She proved herself trustworthy. See, it's that simple, folks. If you're doing without something in your area of need, this book tells me a promise that says, My God shall supply all your needs. You have a need? 
my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. So if you're doing without, I can almost promise you, you can go back to the point of trust. When I was working on this sermon, preparing for Serve Sunday, it hit me that every great servant of the Lord in the Bible had to go through what we'll call a trust test. There's so many of them, I don't have time to share them all. But in the midst of their trust test, they had to serve. They served God. So let's look at just four of them really quickly. If you start in Genesis and went through the first four that come to mind, here they are. Servants of the Lord who passed a trust test. Number one, everybody say Noah. Remember when God told Noah to build an ark because it was going to rain? Everybody remember that in the story? Hey, it had never rained before. Let that sink in. God, do you want me to build this big wooden boat because water drops are going to fall from the sky? Are you kidding me? Really? It had never rained before. They had never seen rain. It was a major trust issue. Noah had to trust God that what God told him was true. And could you imagine trying to explain it to your neighbor? No wonder they ridiculed Noah. See, we thought that the world just thinks that Pentecostal people are crazy. They thought Noah was crazy way before the Holy Spirit ever came back. Somebody say amen. Hey, that, that man's nuts. He says God told him water drops was going to fall from the sky. They thought he was crazy. So the Bible tells us that they begin to ridicule him. But I want you to look. You can jot this down because I didn't give it to Lauren to put on the screen. But Noah obeyed and he served the Lord and he trusted him. And in verse chapter 7 of Genesis, verse 6, the word said, And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah trusted God and he served. Do you think it was easy to work on that ark as long as he worked on it? Has anybody been to the Ark Encounter in Williamstown? Anybody been up there and seen that? Can I see your hands? Massive, isn't it? It's a biblical replica of what he built. Think about that. He served continually for a long time. And I don't know about you, but I thank God that he did. Because if he hadn't, all of mankind would have been destroyed and you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. Thank you, Noah, that you trusted God and you served. Amen. Number two, everybody say Abraham. Remember when God spoke to Abraham and he said that he wanted him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac? Wow, think about that. And as he and Isaac were going up to Mount Moriah, Isaac says, where's the sacrifice, Daddy? Wow, just let that sink in for a moment. I love all of y'all, but I don't love any of you enough to give up that girl right there or that boy wherever he's at. He's normally working in the live stream and all that stuff. I, I don't love any of you enough to give up either one of them. You don't love your children enough to give them up for me. If you do, you're crazy. You don't know me as well as you think you do. <laughs> no, just kidding, just kidding. But we, seriously, none of us, none of us would do that. But here we have Abraham taking his only son, Isaac. And they're going up the mountain. And Isaac says, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, God will provide. That's trust. That's trust. And in verse 12 of Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, about the time that Isaac's laying on the altar and the sacrifice is about to take place, God speaks to Abraham and he says, 
Don't stretch your hand out against the lad, against Isaac, and do no, no harm to him. Now, if you read that, you've got to notice the next phrase says, For now I know that you fear God, since you did not withhold your only son from me. You see, the point is, Abraham, God said, now I know. Abraham passed the trust test. God said, you don't have to do it because now I know you trust me. And, and God is saying here that you've got to be determined to serve the Lord even if it costs you a great price. You've got to be willing to serve the Lord. I'm going to talk about two more if they'll go ahead and come to the music this morning. Two more very quickly. Number three, everybody say Joshua. Now everybody knows the story of Moses crossing the Red Sea. Anybody ever watched the Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston in it? Can I see your hands? All right. We got more old folks in this service than we did at 845. Amen. But you know in the movie, if you watch the movie, I always thought it was pretty amazing with the special effects they had in that movie for even all of those years ago. But in that movie, you know how the rod stretches out, and when the rod stretches out, the water parts. But can you imagine the people hollering at Joshua as he's going down the Jordan? See, for... For Moses, he stretched it out over the Red Sea. Joshua went to Jordan. I want you to think about this because this is a whole message I could preach in itself. Could you imagine the people hollering at Joshua as he's going down to the Jordan saying, Hey, Joshua, you don't have your rod. You don't have a rod. You got to go get your rod. You know, you go to the river, you put out your rod, and the water parts. That's That's what God did for Moses. I could preach a whole message on this. Can I tell you, we've got a generation today that's hollering at the younger generation saying, Hey, you're not doing it our way. Hello, somebody. You're not doing it our way. You need to do it this way. But Moses did it this way. you got to do it just like Moses. When I was growing up in church, they did it like this. you got to do it just like they did it. Can I tell you something this morning? I believe that God wants to raise up a generation of young people that aren't going to do it the way we've done it, but they're going to do great exploits for the kingdom of God. God wants to use them. I can just hear the people shouting at Joshua saying, you need to take a rod. Remember, that's what, that's what happened. But here's what happened with Joshua. Remember, they had to. the Bible said they had to put their feet in the water before the water parted. The Bible says that the River Jordan was raging. It was like a it was like white water rapids that would have just the undercurrent would have swept you under and took you in, but they had to put their foot in that raging water before it parted. That's trust, my friend, in God. But all the while Joshua was determined to serve the Lord. Listen, God did not want them to trust in methods. Did you hear me? God didn't want them to trust in methods because that's the way Moses always did it. Listen, we don't have to do it necessarily that way. The method can change. As long as we don't compromise the message, God can use a new method. Say amen, somebody. He wanted them to trust in God. And as soon as the water parted, I want you to look what it says. I did give Lauren this scripture in Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. It says, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Joshua served, and Joshua passed the trust test. The last one, number four, 
Everybody shout David. Everybody knows about David. How many knows the story of David and Goliath? You've heard the story many times. And as soon as Saul found out that David was going to fight Goliath, you know what he did? The Bible says that Saul clothed David with his garments and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with his armor. Now, I want you to stop here for just a second and I want you to get this picture in your mind. I really wish I'd have picked out a visual illustration, but I didn't do that. But I could use one. Kaylin, you're a girl I know, but come on up here. You're going to be a boy right now. Man, she's a beautiful boy, is she not? Give her a hand. Prettiest boy I ever seen. Come on up. Saul puts his armor on David. I don't know why I didn't think about this at 8:45. Saul was six foot four. I'm six one. Grow three inches. And 225 pounds. I'm every bit of it. Praise the Lord. That's what Saul was. Six foot four, 225 pounds. And he takes his armor and he puts it on David. David. I don't know how Bible scholars figure this out. But Bible scholars say that David was 5'6 and weighed 130. And he took, Saul took his armor and he put it on David. Now look at Caitlin. I mean, I should have used somebody fatter. Why did I choose you? Anyway, he puts it on David. You get the visual though. That armor didn't work for David. Thank you, sweetheart. He puts that armor on David, but that armor didn't work for David. So David had that armor on, and he, he gets his sword, and with all that armor and his sword, David starts trying to walk. But he's weighted down under that armor because it's not his armor. See, what's the point, Pastor Sean? David said to Saul, he said, I, I can't go on with these because I've not tested them. David said to Saul, I can't go with these because I've not tested them. So David took them off and David threw them to the side and David went out with nothing but a sling and some stones in his hand and he took down the giant that was tormenting people twice his size. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that everybody, David was serving God. Everybody can serve the Lord. But there's an armor designed just for you. You don't have to wear somebody else's armor. You don't have to try to look like somebody else when you serve. You just need to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God will give you some smooth stones. God will give you a slingshot. And God will say, here it is, son. Here it is, daughter. Go do something great for the kingdom of God. There's some of you that just by serving, you take out spiritual giants all in this Tri-County area. If you'll stand with me all over the house this morning, I'm going to close this. Noah trusted in God, not the familiar. Abraham trusted in God, not personal feelings. Joshua trusted in God, not methods. David trusted in God, not in man's armor. They all served, but they all had to take the trust test. And so you and I have to take the trust test as well. Because God wants our life. God wants everything about us. He wants our whole heart. He wants our time. He wants our talent. And He wants our treasure. Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. There it is. You. A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What's that word? Service. Serve. Service. I want you to look at the New Living Translation. 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. Here's what service is. This is truly the way to worship Him. Now, very quickly, we know that God makes some promises to His children when we tithe. Can I hear an amen for those that tithe? Malachi chapter 3 tells you that. He'll provide for us in verse 10. He'll protect us in verse 11. Our lives will be attractive to others in verse 12. But the trust test is not just an issue of money. It's an issue of total trust. Can I tell you something? You need to do more than just go to church and give your money. We Everybody do this. You look good when you do that. We need to do more than just go to church and give our money. We need to share our time and our talents and make ourselves available for His service. Mark 10 and 44, Whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. 1 Corinthians 9 and 19, For though Paul said, I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant of all, that I might win the more. God help us win more souls to the kingdom. And God also makes a promise to His children, not just when they tithe, but when they're faithful in His service. And here's the promise. Matthew 25 and 21, I'm closing with this. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I want to tell you, I've preached a lot of funerals lately, and in some of those funerals, I know that there's been some that heard, well done, good and faithful servant. There's been some that might not have heard that. I don't know. I'm not their judge. But I want to tell you something today. All I can answer for is me. And when my time comes and I stand before the throne, I don't just want to make it in by the skin of my teeth. God's done too much for me for me to sit down and not work for Him. When I get there, I want to hear Him say, well done. When you felt like giving up you never gave up when people walked away from you you walked closer to me when you struggled you sought my face I want to hear God say well done my good and faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord what do you want to hear him say with every head bowed and every eye closed all over this room today I believe with my whole heart that there's some sitting here that say pastor I hear you preaching I hear you preaching about serving but I'm not even sure that if I went out into eternity today, I'm not even sure that I know that I know that I know where I would spend eternity. Now, I don't want anybody looking around because this is nobody's business but yours and God's. But if that's you and you say, I don't know that I'm ready to go out into eternity today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and put it back down very quickly and discreetly? Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm ready. If the Lord calls for me today, I don't know that I know that I know that I'm ready. Slip your hand up and put it back down. Let's try it this way. Pastor, if I walk out that door today and get in an accident before I ever make it to 25, I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. Let me see your hands. Put that up. Thank you. My point is, there were still some hands. You just answered the question by saying, I don't know that I know. Now I want everybody to look at me. In a few moments, we're going to open this altar. There's going to be plenty of people come. But if you just, if you just acknowledge the fact that you don't know, that you know, that's what this altar is for. Because you can know before you leave today. You can know. The plan of salvation is simple. The Bible teaches us all we have to do is admit that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. 
believed that Jesus Christ was the only Son of God, that He gave His life on a cross on a hill at Calvary, that He was buried and He rose again on the third day, and that He's coming back one day for you and me. That's all you got to do. And then confess with your mouth, the Bible says, and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and God has raised Him from the dead. You shall be saved. That's a promise. But if you're sitting here today, some of you, I know, you have things you need to place complete and total trust in God in. You need to bring those to this altar today and say, God, I trust you with that. But now also, I want to ask everybody that will to come, who's, anybody who calls this church home, you're willing to help what our initiative is this year to pray the kingdom of God forward, and you're already doing it because I see new faces all over this house today and a ton of people that are out sick, and we still have a full house. You're already praying people in praying the kingdom of God forward, but you say, Pastor, I'm willing to pray the kingdom of God forward. I want to trust God with everything, my time, my talent, and my treasure, and I want to test His promises. I want God to speak to me and tell me exactly what He wants me to do. I want you to come. When they begin to sing in just a moment, we're going to fill these altars, and we're going to spend some time before the Lord in prayer. Would you do that as they